Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's the Round Ball Rock Podcast. Starring Dave Schilling, Joe Wolf, Brian Skeleton Breedy, Joey Devine, Donovan Witchell, Draculazin Petrovich, R.I.P. Brisbilla, the Vanilla Gorilla, Isaiah Hartenstein, wait, he's Hartenstein's monster, Patreons, Carl Blumenthal, thank you Carl, Alan Hutchison Maxwell, thank you Alan, Billy Attridge, thank you Billy, Musical guest, Rob Zombie, and now the temporary host of Brown Ball Rock, Joey Devine. Hi, it's me, Joey Devine, your temporary host of the Round Ball Rock podcast, and we are back with a brand new episode. Uh, it's Halloween day, which you know what that means, Sean. Uh, it's spooky and scary. No, it means so many NBA players 
are currently putting on Joker makeup. Oh, it's going to be great, Joey. Oh, I can't wait. So many fucking Jokers. Oh, my uh, God. Are you... Why are you so serious about it, Joey? I mean, I don't know if you saw, but Diddy already dressed as the Joker uh, this weekend. Well, uh, he's he's actually a murderer, so yeah. that works out. <laughs> Who do you think had Biggie killed? Come um, on. All right. Um, some well, Tupac, that at least. Tupac for sure. <laughs> that voice you're hearing is, <laughs> allegedly, <of course> America's <laughs> Uncle Dad, my friend and yours, Sean Keen. Um, Sean, what are you going as for Halloween? Uh, so, so on Saturday, my girlfriend went as a bear, and I went as um, Lip from Shameless, aka the uh, bear. bear. Yeah. And uh, she's gone, so I'm going to go out trick-or-treating wearing both costumes today. So I will be Mm -hmm. wearing a bear hat and an apron and uh, talking to people about my risotto recipe. Uh, Because I run a wet meat restaurant. Sean, my next-door neighbor, Dan, Uh uh, who listens to the show, huge Kings fan, um, Uh he went as the bear as well, but with a Uh twist... Uh-huh. It's the bear, but if he was controlled as rat by Ratatouille. So oh, that's a, really funny. He had, he had a he was like a tattooed chef uh-huh. with the, the the drinking out of the 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 you know the plastic deli container, but he had a paper chef's hat on that uh, had the oh. you could see the shadow of a rat that he put in between <laughs> on his head. Um, uh, I have to tell you that uh, when when my nephew uh, saw Ratatouille, that was bad news for me because he rides on my shoulders sometimes and he decided he could also steer me mm-hmm. like Remy the Rat uh, controlled that chef. And I had to put a stop to that. I'm like, don't, don't pull my hair, please. Stop, like, you have to go right. That chef has a name, and his name is Linguini. Show some <laughs> damn respect. Um, some business up, up, up uh, off the top. Round rock. Oh pod. yeah, who do? Oh yeah, go ahead. Oh, go Sorry. ahead. What? No, no you, go you go ahead. ahead. I was going to ask what you were for Halloween. I don't dress. I don't dress up. Um, (laughs) I am a sober person. Uh, All right. Um, Business up up top. uh, Roundrockpod at gmail.com. Roundrock at roundrockpod on Elon Musk's Twitter. (laughs) Um, We're finally going to cut loose, guys. (laughs) um, Yeah. Comedy is back, baby. So follow us there. He brought a sync to, to Twitter <laughs> to make it sink in. Oh, what a piece of shit, dude. He's the I worst. fucking hate him. Um, uh, Patreon.com slash roundrockpod is where you can give us money if you feel like giving us money. Uh, you also get bonus episodes. Uh, and at different tiers, you get some swag, some merch. Speaking of merch, you can buy t-shirts at the link in the description of this episode. Um, and the other thing you can do at the link in the description of this episode, Sean, you What's can call that? us on the phone. Oh, hell yeah. And guess what? We have a bunch of calls. Um, so let's go to the phones. Sean and Joey can't come to the phone. Right- Actually, before I do that. <laughs> I just realized I should introduce, uh, we're going to have a guest later. 
Uh, I had a chance to sit down with Mike Prada from SB Nation and The Athletic to talk about his new book. Um, Spaced which, Out. Which is called Spaced Out. Yeah, Jesus. The, and about the three-point revolution in basketball. And guess what, Sean? I talked to him a lot about Don Nelson. What? Yeah, it's going <laughs> to be good. On this show? Yeah, it's going to be good. Uh, now let's go to the phones. <laughs> Sean and Joey can't come to the phone right now, but luckily phones are the domains of me, a robot. If you know the extension of Tillman Fertita, please dial it now. Press 1 to have a single beer with Zach Lowe. Press 2 for Senegal-related inquiries. Press 3 for movie times read by Brooke Lopez. Press 33 to hear problematic things Bill Simmons wrote in the early 2000s. Press 0 at any time to leave a message for Sean and Joey. That's right, you two can leave a message for Sean and Joey, just dial 323-682-0342. Once again that number is, 323-682-0342, please give me a call, being a robot is a solitary road. All right, Sean. Our first call comes from our Utah Jazz correspondent, Greg Foster. He's got a podcast about the jazz called Unsalvageable. He's also got a podcast about Utah politics called Brigham Young Money, the only leftist Utah podcast in the world. Uh, and guess what, Sean? What? He's uh pretty stoked about the Utah Jazz being five and two. So let's uh, oh. let's hear <laughs> let's hear what Greg's got to say. Hey boys, it's Greg, you Utah Jazz correspondent, and I'm just sitting here in beautiful Salt Lake City, you know, admiring the view at the top of the NBA mountain because, as we all predicted. The Utah Jazz are 3-0 and and the best team in the NBA. And all I can really say right now is 82-0 and is still very much in play, and I'm looking forward to a, a slew, a myriad of titles. Uh, and if I had to analyze this team, I would say that it's basically like last year's team, but the total opposite, in that the vibes are off the chart, the guys seem to like each other, you know, and they got that dog in them, which, of course, is the most important thing. You know, Danny Ainge went out and he got a bunch of guys who've been given up on by multiple teams. And they're playing like an armada of scorned lovers. So while they don't have their dudes anymore, they don't have their all-stars, they've got a whole bunch of guys. A bunch of fucking guys. Lori Markinen, fucks. Jared Vanderbilt, fucks. Kelly Olenek, awkwardly, but he fucks. Malik Beasley fucks everything and everyone. And Colin Sexton, well, what's in a name? I'd say everything because that guy fucks maniacally. And Will Hardy, the Jazz's new head coach, he went from a male-ass golf dad to a goaded white boy dripping with the sauce in approximately 12 quarters. Unparalleled, unrivaled. So when I call you guys back in June after the team goes 82 and 0 and Jordan Clarkson becomes the Utah's first finals MVP, Lululemon ambassador and Utah senator after his writing campaign gets more votes than Emmett McMullen or Mike Lee, don't say I didn't warn you. No, actually, I'm, I'm, 
totally fucking around. This team and the players, they're all going to get sold to the highest bidder <laughs> within the next few weeks. And whoever is left on this island of misfit toys is going to come down with a serious case of Danny Ainge is going to assassinate me, Itis, in the very near future. But hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna enjoy it while it lasts. Thanks, boys. Bye. Sean. Yes. I want to use this uh, this question. First off, thank you, Greg, for calling us. It's always yes, be beautiful always every time. I want to use this question to uh, ask you a question, though, or this call to ask you a question. Um, okay. What are we most wrong? What we we finished our season previews up, and uh, we've been wrong about pretty much everything we said in any of them so far after two weeks. Um, yeah, I think that's probably correct. Yeah, what are we most wrong about? Well, I would just say that we assumed a level of tanking in the NBA this mm-hmm. season, and. For whatever combination of factors, these teams are just not tanking that hard. Maybe it's not a lot like um, uh, late enough in the season, but uh, your Western Conference standings, Mm -hmm. let me just read you, the current uh, playoff to play in teams, Mm -hmm. Portland Trailblazers, Phoenix Suns. Well, okay, that's that's okay. San Antonio Spurs. No, hold on. This this. We were really shitting on the Portland Trailblazers. Yeah, but I mean they're five and they're five and one. I'm I'm like I'm sure, I, I'm I feel saying, like they're five and one, Sean. Yeah, but I I mean I I don't know. Dame's already hurt. Like like like. Well, let's see what this looks like in a week, Joey. Uh, the Spurs are third. The Jazz are fourth. Uh, Pelicans fifth. Grizzlies sixth. That is the T-Wolves, the Nuggets. Number nine, the Oklahoma City Thunder. Mm-hmm. The Mavericks are 10, and uh, our beloved Golden State Warriors would not be in the plan mm-hmm. if the season They're ended bad. right now. The Golden um, State Warriors are bad. <laughs> also, uh, the East might not be as good as we thought. That's the other thing. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. And again, it's very early. We're two weeks into the season. But, uh, yeah, the, the only... The, the teams that look really good so far are, uh, of course, as we predicted, Phoenix, <laughs> the Pelicans, mm-hmm. the Bucks, and the Cavaliers. Those are the teams yeah. that statistically look great so far. Yeah. Um, I thought I also – well, we were wrong about the Suns because we thought uh, they'd be in vibes. a lot more disarray. They were having bad vibes. Yeah, and apparently uh, DeAndre Ayton – just needed a new version of 2K to come out. And what part of my career do you think got his vibes back? Um, oh, probably because he has to play you, all of them. Probably the part where you have to rap multiple times with J. Cole instead of actually playing any basketball. Yeah, games. because because to get up to the level he's at, he has to play through the my career, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so so. Maybe maybe it was the inspiring message of J. Cole's hip hop that, that got his mind right. Well, speaking of DeAndre. We are back for revenge. This is not a play-play thing. This is a PSA announcement to all the people in the Valley. Dominating out. Um, <laughs> oh, domi- he's been dominating. I forgot about that, but, but how do you argue with that? 
Um, it's not a play play thing. Um, all right, Sean, we got another question from Henry okay. from DC. Okay. Um. Uh, hey guys, it's your um, parasocial pal Henry from DC. Um, I'm calling you because I was watching a Heat game the other day, and um, obviously there is like a little bit more to Heat culture than just like being in in good shape, right? But um, it's kind of crazy the way that everyone talks about it as being this sort of like. Um, unique thing, just like running a lot. And it seems like it's something that other teams like probably should emulate. You know, it, it reminds me of like reading about, you know, like how the first baseball team that was like, maybe we shouldn't be like actively drunk during games had like a huge advantage. It, do you think that like 30 years from now, we will look back on this era of basketball and be like, damn, uh, it took a really long time for everyone to figure out that like, good cardiovascular fitness was important to playing the sport of basketball. Um, is everyone but the heat being like kind of stupid about this? Just curious. Say bye. I actually think it's going to go the opposite way, Sean. Oh, really? I think we are a mere months away. Look, they made Taylor Swift apologize. They're going to make Pat Riley apologize for body shaming. Oh, he is getting oh. canceled. Uh-huh. Well, I mean, you know, Pat Riley, it feels like, like, okay, so Pat Riley notoriously, uh, before the 1989 NBA Finals, mm-hmm. uh, in his desperate desire for a three-peat, uh, basically injured his entire team up against the Detroit Pistons with a super intense training camp ahead of those finals, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, like, like, just just ran his team into the ground. So has something changed in Miami? Are they, like, stretching more? Um, are they using – maybe it's pre-workouts. Maybe he discovered pre-workouts, and that's how mm-hmm. they're able to do this. But, uh, yeah, it, it's interesting um, – I will say that that trend does not seem to have extended to the Golden State Warriors this season, Joey. They do they do not seem like they were running a lot in the offseason. I'm going to I'm going to say that. I uh, we I don't we can talk about them <laughs> another time. Look, Steph Curry and Draymond Green have both been incredible to start this season and they're wasting these games. Um, <laughs> I'm going to say on one end, they've been amazing. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I mean, they're scoring lots of points. Yeah. They just, uh, you know, give up 30 points sure. every quarter. It's a tough way to win. Tough I, way to I win. have a, I have a, some theories about that, but, but <laughs> we don't want to get into it. Um, let's just uh, say, uh, there's a there's maybe a man named who with the same initials as everyone's favorite doctor Jordan Peterson who might be the problem there. Uh-huh. All right. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> um, um, all right. Uh, um, but yeah, great question, Henry. Also, feel free to have a parasocial relationship with me at any point, any listeners. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Um, nice Live guy. your lives through us. <laughs> we're I mean, best, we're best friends. Um, yeah. Just don't talk to me in person. All right. Um, <laughs> 
but yeah, I I really think, look, if they came for Taylor Swift, Sean, mm-hmm. they're coming for Pat Riley eventually. What did she get bought? What, what, who was she body shaming? Her, uh, herself. I, well, kind of. She had a, she had a, there was a video. You didn't see that this week. I was she, not following the Taylor. She was Swift, being accused um, of being fat phobic, and had to apologize. There in a video, there she had a video where she looked at a scale and then it said, "Oh fat. yes, yes, uh, yes, yeah, I yeah. understand that." Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, but look, they, if if the Swifties abandoned Taylor to let her get uh, shamed into uh, to apologizing. I don't think I don't think Heat Nation has the the juice to protect Pat Riley anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, all right, we got another call from Ethan. Hey guys, Ethan here. Um, so I recently saw that Frankie Muniz is a um, contestant on the Surreal Life uh, reboot uh, with Dennis Rodman and Stormy Daniels, and I saw that he co-wrote a song with Stormy Daniels about Dennis Rodman's penis, which he saw multiple times on the set of the show. And that just led me to think, um, to ask you guys, which NBA player, um, current NBA player, should should have the next song about his penis sung, um, written, written by which former child actor, and uh, which former lover of a U.S. president across any era should be the uh, the co-writer and co-performer? Uh, thanks so much for your attention, and uh, take it easy. Wow. Um, okay, Sean. <laughs> yep, these are our listeners. Uh, don't don't do that. Don't do the Bill Simmons thing. <laughs> That Alibaba money. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, Sean, mm-hmm. do you have an answer for this? Yeah, well, okay, so it's it's got to be a current NBA player, we're saying, right? I, I, I think former. Okay. Um, so I think, look, we, <laughs> we, we're going to talk about, uh, NBA nudity a little later in this episode, Uh (laughs) but uh, I'm going to go with Scottie Pippen. I think it's, I think it should be Scottie Pippen's penis. Mm -hmm. I think, I think the former child actor who writes the song should be Jonathan Lipnicki. He's, he's really swole. And uh, if he's going to co-write it with any president's lover, Mm-hmm. Um, now it can be anyone, right? Anyone historically? Yeah, anytime, anyone historically, the question said. Okay, well then I'm going to go with uh, William Rufus Devane King, <laughs> who was, uh, he's from Alabama. He, uh, I think, I think history, it's unconfirmed, but I'm pretty sure that this was 15th President James Buchanan's lover. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm saying. Pippin, Lipnicki, Devane King. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to go with um, Popeye Jones. Okay. Ryan Gosling, Laura Bush. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. All right. 
<laughs> All right. Uh, we got some. We don't just take uh, questions from our uh, via audio. We also take them in print, and you know what that means, Sean. This is Round Ball Rock Reader Mail. Communications from listeners. Why do we call it Reader Mail? It is confusing for robots. All right, Sean. Our first question comes from our friend Damon Agnos in uh, Washington. And he says, Sean, Joey, big fan of the show. Joey, I enjoyed your choices for the three Warriors documentaries you would like to see and can't disagree with any of them. However, as I was listening, I kept wondering if you could if you would choose the story of Andres Biedrin's quest to find the perfect hot tub for his condo. I was also wondering if you might tell that story again on air. Your friend Damon. All right. Well, you want to tell that story, Joey? I guess I, I have to, right? Um, yeah. Uh, so at the time, Andres uh-huh. Biedrin's emerging star for the Warriors mm-hmm. has signed his first big NBA contract as a like 22 year old Latvian man. Yeah. Living in a, a condo in Jacqueline Square penthouse in Oakland. Condo a penthouse condo in downtown Oakland. Okay. Yeah. So my friend worked at a hot tub store. <laughs> Every every uh-huh. story that begins this way is a good story, mm-hmm. by the way. And two Latvian guys came in, not Anders Biedrins. Mm-hmm. Two Latvian guys came in and they said, we want to buy hot tub for Anders Biedrins. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, he showed them, he, 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 described, he said that it was uh, like they wanted an indoor hot tub, like to put inside the penthouse, right? Uh, He showed them the indoor hot tub, and the Latvian guys were like, not big enough. We want your biggest hot tub. (laughs) So he showed them the biggest hot tub, which was not built to be put indoors. It was uh, an outdoor hot tub. Uh, And they were like, great, we'll take it. But um, the hot tub was so big, they couldn't get it. There was the only way to get it into Andres Biedrin's penthouse was to close down a street in uh, downtown Oakland and get a crane to lift the crane to Andres <laughs> Biedrin's condo, <laughs> penthouse condo. It cost, like, something like $500,000 to, like, install the big outdoor hot tub in Andres uh-huh. Biedrin's penthouse. To, yeah, to close the street, to, to cut to out a wall. To close the street. To cut out a wall, to rent a con- like to rent a crane. Uh huh. Um, it was probably wasn't that much, but it was definitely six figures to install this dumb hot tub, this dumb outdoor uh-huh. hot tub in Andres Biedrin's condo. Uh huh. Which um, was mostly used for terrible things. Yeah, I'm guessing. <laughs> <laughs> just, just I just assume uh, weird. Uh, like, like, how many cigarette butts do you think were were clogging that filter constantly? A lot. Yeah. Um, what if we fill with vodka? <laughs> what, what, what then? Um, and yeah, that is probably the correct answer. I probably should have, because that's like a documentary. I, we could probably get made, right? We could actually maybe make yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, we just have to talk to those those 
Hot to people. <laughs> also, uh, those are public records. We could yeah, we could yeah. find that street. <laughs> uh, like like talking to the train, the crane guy and the hot tub guy about the Adrians. <laughs> do you think he would participate, Joey? Yeah, I do think he would participate. Yeah, he'd be like, yeah, well, it was cool hot tub. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, uh, Sean. We have um, unfortunately been accidentally ignoring mail from our friend John L. So we would like to answer three of his questions right now. And it was not on purpose. We were looking for the right time. Mm -hmm. So, Sean, why don't you uh, read us John L.'s questions? Yeah, well, he's got a he's got a triple threat of a question. Honestly, it's pretty good. Uh Okay, so the first one he has is, I'm watching the 1960s Batman series, and so far, Bruce Wayne has christened a boat and had lunch with famous baseball players. Which Mm -hmm. NBA owner is like each incarnation of Bruce Wayne? Movies and TV, don't worry about Uh, the comics. Oh, man, this is really hard. Um, (laughs) Robert Para is Robert Pattinson, Bruce Wayne, for sure. Okay, okay. Right? Um, Um... I kind of think that, um, well, Paul Allen had a real TV Adam West Batman vibe, Mm -hmm. like lots of boats, lots of famous friends. Could be a pedophile. Could be a pedophile. Uh, Yeah, like has a ward. uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, but but I could. Couldn't you see Batman like playing Jimi Hendrix's guitar in some lost episode of that? Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, P- Para is Pattinson for sure because he's like mysterious, right? They wrote like an entire ESPN wrote an entire article about like how, essentially, um, comparing Robert Para to Jay Gatsby. Uh, yeah, and like, um, like Pattinson, and also young. He's young. Pattinson didn't really uh, work out to play yeah, Batman, yeah, yeah, yeah. and Robert Para had to quit his high school basketball team because of a heart condition. Yeah, um. but he he loves to shoot. He loves to shoot, baby. Okay, so um, Keaton, Keaton Batman. <laughs> That's Joe Lacob, I think. You really right? think like 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 a little bit. Like like flamboyant, but but eccentric. Just because, uh, look, basically every time they show Joe Lacob courtside, he's in. I want you want to get nuts mode. Right, right, right. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dance with the devil in the pale moonlight. Yeah. Also, a lot of his uh, a lot of his moves are kind of light years ahead in that, like mm. like using the bat plane to steal the balloons. You know, that's like Alexander the Great I, you cutting are, the Gordian knot. No, you are giving you are giving Joe Lacob way too much credit. Four um, titles for the Golden <laughs> State Warriors, Joey. That's like, um, but also uh, the Joker's scheme in that movie is somewhat uh, akin to things you would buy on Rakuten. Also, you know, Peter Cooper like the consumer public. It. He did produce Batman, <laughs> um, and he he decided to partner with this somewhat schlubby guy. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. I'm skipping Kilmer and Clooney. What? <sighs> like, what are we doing? Okay, fine. Go ahead. Val <laughs> Kilmer, Sean. <laughs> Val Kilmer, Batman. I feel like, uh, I think it's Dan Gilbert because he's like oversharing all the time. Like, Batman reveals his secret identity very, very early in that movie. 
Uh, he thinks he's cool, but he's he's sort of a dork. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Clooney Batman is, of course, party owner uh, Tom Gores of mm. the Detroit Pistons. Uh, really weird relationship with prisons in that movie. Uh, just just a lot of uns- he's an unsavory Batman mm-hmm. is what I'm saying. Yeah, sure. All right. And then- uh, also too horny, too horny. All right. And uh, bail bat. Uh, Bale Bruce Wayne, Sean. So this is got this has got to be a guy. Hard. Yeah, because you're thinking of an owner who basically needed to go on a vision quest. You well, know what I mean? Also, he's like a guy who like of all the Bruce Waynes, Bale's Bruce Wayne is like fun. It's yeah. the only Bruce Wayne they ever show like being fun, like, right? Yeah, Other like than having the 60s a party. Batman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because even even the 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 Kilmer one is like not having a good time. Like like Kilmer's the only one who seems to be trying to maintain a secret identity. Well, and at I would say oh, okay, I well what I I'm not giving Clooney Batman enough credit. Where Clooney Batman is basically like if Bruce Wayne was Batman all the time. <laughs> Yeah, like his, he just There's doesn't no really have There's no darkness in that yeah. one, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, like, this guy's it, parents got murdered? Question yeah, mark? Like, no, I don't, I don't know. Such, so much fun. Yeah, like, um, he's, like, haunted by uh, thinking his partner's gonna sleep with the girl he likes. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not really the same kind of thing. Um, is, is Michael Jordan the Christian Bale Batman? He's been through... His father was murdered. Been through he, a uh, lot. It kind of had a vision quest, like like him joining the League of Shadows is kind of like Michael Jordan playing minor league baseball. He has a good time in public. Mm-hmm. Um, haunted by, I mean, he didn't have a bad back, but Scottie Pippen's bad back kind of kind of threw him off. Uh, mm-hmm. Betrayed by the people. Uh, by Abe Paulin, the way that uh, Wayne Enterprises tried to betray him. I don't remember any of the details of the business plots of those <laughs> movies because ultimately they're irrelevant and Christopher Nolan really thought them out. And then you're like, well, I, the stock price matters now. We have, we're, we're worried about Wayne Enterprises' stock price. Oh, the shareholders have a vote of no confidence? Let's figure that out. He's dealing with Ra's al Ghul. Come on, Lucius Fox. Handle the business side. Uh, okay. Um, I think. Hmm. I'm like, I'm going through in my head. It can't be a Cronky. Well, I was going to say the Cronky is a fail son. <laughs> but the problem is he's not a fail son. Bruce Wayne isn't a fail son. Um, no, he's like an avenging. Hmm. Um, I mean, it's not, it's not Balmer. No, I would. Balmer's like if the penguin owned a. Yeah. <laughs> and like, and like, did only was like doing crime accidentally. Yeah. You know, but like, <laughs> yeah, Chuck the Condor is like his. Flock See, of the penguins. better question for you, Sean, is we need to pick. We're going to have an. Villains. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, in fact, that's going to be a Patreon episode this week. Yeah. Okay. We uh, okay. We're going to pick a Batman villain for every NBA owner. Yeah. And um, we could go pretty deep here. 
<laughs> okay, I'm very excited about that. So to be continued. Um, mm-hmm. That's only John's first question, Joey. Uh, the second question. Uh, Chris Paul sent the Jazz players 15 bottles of wine when they were stuck in the locker room after Rudy Gobert tested positive for COVID. What should he have sent the Rockets players after Daniel House Jr. got kicked out of the bubble for being too horny? Oh, that's a great Once again, question. he should have married that COVID tester. <laughs> that should have been his punishment. He should have married that girl, made an honest woman out of her. It would have been the NBA's greatest love story. We could have written a we could have literally written a movie about it if he'd married that COVID tester. Um Yeah. What if it was like Spanish fly? Is that is that compounding the problem? No, that's you wouldn't know. That is I mean Honestly, it should have been like hats that said like hashtag NoFap November. <laughs> Female body inspector. Yeah. Like, um, this isn't a hat. It's a solar. It's not a bald spot. It's a solar panel for a sex machine. That's that. You should have given them all kinds of hats like yeah. that. Yeah. Like beach. <laughs> <laughs> If you could read this, the bitch fell off. You know what I mean? Like yeah, that's... yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so basically anything from um, the sort of dirty side of the Big Dogs collection, mm-hmm. that would work. Uh, maybe a Big Johnson shirt. Okay, that's yeah. that's what he should yeah, yeah. Merch. He should have said yeah. fun merch. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then number three, uh, will Ted Cruz defend Draymond and tell the media he shouldn't have stepped away from the team? Absolutely not. Um, because, uh, I mean, first off, if you want me to be honest with you, I still don't know how much the world may think it blew up. Sparked by the leak of the video, the incident did blow up. It went viral. And Uncle Drew's being benched. All right. Uh, (laughs) I had to play them both there. Yeah. Um, Uh (laughs) uh-huh. No, absolutely not, because uh, Ted Cruz does not know who Draymond Green is. He's a fake basketball fan who uh, uh, is yeah. a, who doesn't know anything that's going on at any point. He called it a basketball ring at one point. <laughs> but then uh-huh. he shows yeah, up to yeah. these games I pretending mean, to be he... a fan, and he is not a fan. He does not know who Draymond Green I mean, is. <laughs> Yeah, he likes punching, but he hates black people. So it's yeah. hard to reconcile that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Thanks, John. Sorry we <laughs> we uh, let three of your questions go by the wayside. Keep sending them yeah. in. Yeah, um, we love them. We love them. Yeah. These are very good questions. <laughs> and then, um, John, we got to do some news before we go to Mike Prada. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> This is Round Ball Rock News. Basketball news. For humans and robots. Trust the process. All right, All Joey. Right, John. <laughs> 
Uh, I want to I want to talk about one big thing that's happening right now. Um, it's Halloween when we're recording this, and we're gonna get a look at a lot of costumes soon. But right now, we we do need to to update our Joker watch mm-hmm. uh, because very surprisingly, we have a Batman. We have a Batman sighting. It's Joey. crazy. It's crazy. Someone went as Batman. What uh, normally people go as the Joker. It's all Jokers all the time. Grant mm-hmm. Williams went as Batman. And Joey, I just want you to look at. Oh, I've uh, seen it. Now, he is wearing a Batman costume yeah. with fake muscles, mm-hmm. which is a little bit weird because he seemingly has muscles as an NBA player. Mm-hmm. Um but you know what he looks like? He doesn't look like Batman as much as he looks like the guys from the Dark Knight who, who are pretending to be Batman. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's what he looks like. He looks like someone who's... Uh, he does who's look pre- like that, pretending yeah, to be Batman. The, mur- the Joker's going to murder yeah. him if uh, if uh, Harvey Dent doesn't uh. claim to be the Batman yeah, in yeah, yeah. a ridiculously complicated plot. To catch the Joker, which is then an even more complicated plot to blow up the jail. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What a movie. What a movie. <laughs> um, and here's the thing, Joey. Um, this is it's funny. And he conducted his postgame press conference as Batman. Mm-hmm. But it got sad. It got sad because la- I learned that last <laughs> year. Um, after the Celtics played the Nuggets, uh, Nikola Jokic shot eight of twenty-three, and uh, Grant Williams wanted people to call him Batman. What? Yeah, they oh, wanted. Why? He said that was because he shut down the Joker. Oh God! No! All right, we're moving on. That's too sad. It's too it's, sad. Yeah, it got it got too it it got too sad. It got too sad. Jalen Brown told the media about that. And this is a great quote from Jalen Brown. Grant did a great job. He wanted me to tell the media he wants his nickname to be Batman. I said, I don't know about that one, Grant. Mm -hmm. You know what else uh, Jalen Brown doesn't know about? Uh Uh, uh, (laughs) (laughs) Anti-Semitism. No, he uh, didn't really back off. Uh, He cut ties with Kanye's agency, but still seems to probably have some problems with Jews. Yeah. Um, Which, why is that a theme in the NBA this week, Sean? Uh, It's a combination of uh, the Yee family, Kyrie and Kanye. Um, Jalen Brown did leave uh, the sports management company Donda Sports, as did Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald made a pretty emphatic statement about how he can't support anti-Semitism. Jalen Brown said... Uh, I'm what, sorry. What about the kids at that school? That's he what said, he what said. about the kids at this weird <laughs> that fake, uh, private, fake private school that people have to sign an NDA to join? Uh-huh. Uh, and he's still upset about the Donda Academy closing mm-hmm. um, after it's one year of private school education. It's weird. Uh, mm-hmm. Anyway, didn't, d- doesn't really, just got too much flack for supporting it. Does still still riding with Kanye? Just um, I don't know if they were getting a lot out of the Donda Sports management, mm-hmm. to be honest. Um, <laughs> and uh, Reggie Bullock also standing with uh, 
Kanye. Mm, great. Congratulations, Reggie Bullock. <laughs> Um, I guess that leads us. We should probably talk about the Nets, right? Uh huh. Um, so I, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna say right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't want to talk about Kyrie. Like again, he's just being. Re- I, I feel like talking about it makes it worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, we should guy. say fuck that guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's an he's a straight up anti semite now. Um. He's a real piece of shit, and I hope the Nets cut him. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. I agree. Also, I'm not very good at basketball anymore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so here's a rundown of some things that are happening with the Brooklyn Nets, Joey. Okay. I'm sure you're very excited about this. They had a players-only meeting. Um, yes, it is six games into the season, and they have had a players-only meeting. That is... Almost a record, except I guess the Cleveland Browns had a players only meeting after their second week. And uh, one incarnation of the Iman Shumpert era Knicks had a players only meeting four games into the season. Mm-hmm. So actually, it's not. But when your company is the Cleveland I'm sorry, Browns and the New did York you just, Knicks. Wait, hold on. Did you just call the Carmelo Anthony Knicks the Iman Shumpert Knicks? Well, I mean, it's it's before. I, I feel like I need to isolate the Carmelo era into because it wasn't the it wasn't the Porzingis Knicks. Sure. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> um, okay. So uh, here's how the Nets are doing. They're giving up the most points in the league. They also have mm-hmm. the worst defensive rating. Their net rating is uh, minus 8.7. Mm-hmm. They're one in five. Their expected win loss record is two and four. And uh, let me just give you some Ben Simmons totals, you know, just for fun. He has, he's played six games. He has scored 37 points Mm -hmm. and he has racked up 26 fouls, including two technicals. Mm -hmm. So his fouls plus turnovers are uh, above his points by seven. Mm -hmm. Um, That's not good. He did take a three pointer, though. But you know what he didn't do? What's Uh, that? uh, uh, Promote anything Alex Jones said. Yeah, that's true. He has not endorsed the protocols of the elders of Zion. He yeah, is, yeah. He's, he he does not. He hasn't talked about lizard people. Yeah, he is. Uh, not, he's not David Icke. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and Kyrie Irving has said that uh, he does believe that the Sandy Hook shooting was real, but Alex Jones is correct about the New World Order. Uh huh. Great. So great stuff. Um, yeah. <laughs> just some other stuff going on with the Nets. Uh, the Pacers beat them with a lineup, and literally only James Johnson and Buddy Heald were old enough to rent a car mm-hmm. in that entire rotation. Right. Uh, also, the Pacers are tanking. And mm-hmm. uh, and uh, also, this might be the most troubling. Uh, the Et Ceteras, what do you call that podcast? The, the Et Ceteras, right? Yeah, it's Et the Et Ceteras. Yeah. The Et Ceteras with Kevin Durant hasn't had a podcast in two wow. weeks. Wow. So, I mean... This uh, is a team in Ace, disarray. Ace, Rich Kleiman, you know, his best friend, you got to get on him to do that content. People get mad when you skip episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, um, oh, also, Nick Claxton and Ben Simmons are a combined 15 of 36 from the free throw mm-hmm. line so far this year. Pretty good. Pretty Great. good. Uh, but Joe Harris is back, baby. 
He's played 85 minutes in four games, three of seven from three point range. It's pretty good. Just, just good stuff all around for these guys. Uh, who do you think has the worst defensive rating on the nets, Joey? Is it Kyrie Irving? Uh, he's very close. The worst belongs to, unfortunately, our friend Patty Mills. Well, and he's then, not exactly known for his defense. Yeah, it's, he's, it's not really what he's on the team for. Uh, next is Yuta Watanabe. Did you remember he was on the Nets? Oh, yeah, yeah. He, for sure, dude. Uh, Joe I Harris. I love Yuta <laughs> Watanabe. Um, Patty Mills also, to be fair, uh, has a wildly good offensive rating and is one of the rare uh, positive players mm-hmm. on the team. It's him and Claxton and then Yuta is also vaguely is a little bit positive. Oh, and David Duke Jr., who, uh, you know, Kyrie has been trying to talk to his dad all week, and he keeps explaining uh, it's not the same guy. That's <laughs> not who he needs to be talking to. Um, okay, Joey, is Steve Nash going to be fired before we Honestly, I don't think so. I think, <laughs> I think this Kyrie Irving thing has now, like given Steve Nash like cover for his job for the year. Well, and I think that Kevin Durant demanding that he gets fired also insulates him because now it's like, they can't fire him for a while. I think Mm -hmm. they could fire him in a month, maybe, but it still feels like, um, you know, this is like, I don't know. It's, it's like too soon because because Kevin Durant said he wanted him fired, even if he should be fired, he won't be fired. Yeah. Anyway, fun stuff. Sorry what for that. What a great team. What a great team. What a uh, great team. But it is more fun than this. Uh, the Spurs cut Josh Primo, Sean, uh, because he's a sex creep. He is um, a sex creep. He, is, he was the youngest player in the draft. Last year, he is now the youngest player to be released for sexual misconduct before his 20th birthday. I believe I need to the Elias Sports Bureau is going to get back to me. Um, So, yeah, he was exposing himself to multiple staffers. And I just want to read his bullshit statement. statement. Well, first off, his statement is fucked up because it came out before. People knew what was up. before. Yeah. When they just waved him. So he was like trying to make it seem like he got waved because he has mental health issues. Yeah. Well, let me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah this yeah. came out right after and it went directly to Woj. It was like print. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> print it. <laughs> uh, I know that you all are surprised by today's announcement. I've been seeking help to deal with previous trauma I suffered and will now take this time to focus on my mental health treatment more fully. I hope to be able to discuss these issues in the future so I can help others who have suffered in a similar way. I appreciate privacy at this time. Mm -hmm. So... Like, look, I don't doubt that he's suffered some kind of trauma in his life, but... uh... That's not an excuse. That doesn't excuse your actions. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. But also, that's a uh, that's bullshit. Your tra- yeah, your yeah. trauma made you take your dick out all the time. Yeah, yeah. Like that's uh, I like don't know. to some poor lady trying to clean your hotel room. That's oh, what happened. Yeah. Uh, the this the last incident, I guess. God damn! And like, um, yeah, that's a. Uh, 
I just feel like that's uh, unfair to people who are dealing with trauma, uh, a lot of trauma that yeah. Uh, yeah, do not act out sexually. Yeah. Ugh, gross story, but. But congrats. I'm good on the Spurs for cutting him. Like, yeah, just cutting him. That's fucked up. Like, no, no suspension. Yeah. No, like, they're just like, we're going to eat this money. Um, yeah. And uh, I'm I'm sure someone. Well, I actually don't think someone will sign him this year. I don't know. That ESPN report said teams are looking into how into the details of the allegations, Sean, before. Uh, OK, who's going to who's going to sign him? Honestly, it might be the Nets. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, why not? I guess like when you're eating a shit sandwich already. No, like one after, more turn. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think he'll get signed this year, but I think he's he's going to be back, unfortunately. Oh, yeah, I mean, well, that's true. I mean, like this year, I don't know if he'll be. Yeah, signed. I don't think he'll be signed this year. Um. Uh, here's another weird thing. This is not related to this, Joey, but um, somehow, well, the Spurs are five and two, mm-hmm. and part of that is they went two and one against Minnesota in the past week. Mm-hmm. Why are they playing so many times in a week? <laughs> because of the rodeo? It's so weird. Like, literally, three games in seven days, and then they play again in April. So it's just very bizarre because I was trying to look and see because the Timberwolves often look very bad mm-hmm. playing together. But now I'm like, well, maybe they just match up weirdly with the Spurs. Yeah. I mean, like, I, it's awesome. Just, it's just hard to. Yeah, it's like because I was like, oh, something's wrong. And then it's like, now oh, they're four and three. And maybe, yeah, like maybe Pop figured something out that they will figure out in two days. Yeah, but. Right. <laughs> He was able to exploit it <laughs> this week. <laughs> or like maybe Rudy Gobert, you know, is sick or something. I, I don't know. Um, I was right. going to think of something insulting and then I just said sick. Okay. All uh, right. Uh, I think I think we got to go to uh, my interview with Mike Prada here unless there's anything you really want to get to. I would like to talk about this Jamal Tinsley story real okay. quickly. Just what year is it? We teased it a little bit. Uh, okay. So Bruno Sundov did uh-huh. an interview with some foreign language podcast and uh, he shared a story about former point guard and Club Rio gunman mm-hmm. uh, Jamal Tinsley. Mm-hmm. Now, according to Bruno Sundov, he said, guess how much Jamal Tinsley paid in fines for not showering? He paid $250,000 in fines because he did not want to shower after practices. It's like he's taking a shower at home. He doesn't want to be naked among everyone. We counted at the end, and he paid $250,000 for not showering. In the end, a scandal broke out, and he had to speak with his agent and his girlfriend. Now, maybe something was lost in the translation of that, but I just wanted to say what, that. Wait, what scandal broke out? I don't. Um, anyway, I think yeah. I think he I, what I assume is that he had to tell his girlfriend why he was spending two hundred and fifty thousand gotcha, dollars. Gotcha, gotcha, sure. That's my guess. Uh, but do you know why they had a rule and fines? Why? It was Reggie Miller, Joey, <laughs> one of the. Just generally horniest men in NBA history. Uh, so 
Tinsley would not shower after practices and games, and uh, they would they would be showering, and he would already be dressed and ready to go. And finally, Reggie Miller said to the team manager, "Bring the team rule book. We have to add one change that every player must shower after every training session, especially after every game. Otherwise, he will be punished. The first fine was five hundred dollars, and it would be doubled every other time he didn't take a shower." So I'm with Reggie Miller on this uh, because you know why he did this, right? Because Jamal stunk. Tinsley's fucking stunk and he had to sit on yeah. the bus and the but, plane yeah. with him. It, it, yeah, it's yeah. a good rule. It's yeah. a good rule. Like, <laughs> what a weird story. But yeah, I am on team Reggie Miller for that because yeah. like he's putting on, the, he played a whole game. Jamal Tinsley would play like 35 minutes a game yeah. for these teams. You know he's you know he smelled bad. Wow. And uh you know what? Good job, Reggie Miller. Once again <laughs> redeeming himself on this podcast. He still has uh, a sunburst tattoo over his navel. Uh-huh. But uh and he he does need to stop. It, actually, you know what? He ended up being the winner in that Reggie Miller stop bothering married women. Yeah, yeah. she wasn't he even did married. Win that. Yeah. Um <laughs> Okay. All right. Uh Here's my interview with Mike Prada talking about his new book, Spaced Out. Uh, Buy it, everyone. Buy it now. (laughs) Hey, I'm here with Mike Prada. Uh, You might know him from The Athletic or from SB Nation for a long time. But more importantly, he's got a brand new book out. It's called Spaced Out, How the NBA's Three-Point Revolution Changed Everything You Thought You Knew About Basketball. How you doing, Mike? I'm good. Did I change your everything I, you thought you knew about basketball? Oh, did I? Did I say that wrong? No, you said oh, it wrong. Yeah. I'm asking. Oh, you, yeah. I'm asking <laughs> you. Did it? Did, no, you said it right. I'm asking you. Did I? Did I uh, follow through on the premise? <clears throat> I mean, yes. Except I've had a. I have kind of a funny relationship as a Warriors fan with uh, the three point revolution, where, um. Watching Don Nelson coach basketball, like, my entire life, it's different, but not super, not as different as if I was watching the 90s Knicks, I think. Who, by the way, also had one year Don Nelson. Yeah, well, yeah. Poor, I guess Don less Nelson. Than, <laughs> less, than, less than one year of Don Nelson. Um, I yeah. do have some Don Nelson, I do have a Don Nelson question for you, but I want to get to uh, what... Why don't you explain to the listeners what this book is mainly about besides just three-pointers? Yeah, you know, it's honestly not really about three-pointers. It's about, I mean, it is about three-pointers, but it's it's not about the three-pointers themselves. It's about the effect of shooting a lot of three-pointers, right? So by doing that, you are essentially taking a court that is this wide, this long, for each half-court possession, and you are basically doubling it, but you mm-hmm. aren't adding more players to fill that space, right? If that's what you're doing, like, surely the whole setup is going to change, right? I mean, if you put five people in one space, and then you suddenly say, oh, actually, now this space is twice as big. Right. They're going like... to play the sport differently. So <laughs> it's really that simple. Yeah, or they should play the sport differently. And imagine if they there's going to be an adjustment period, but they're going to play the sport differently. So that's essentially what the premise of the book is. And because of that, it changed the sport more fundamentally than even we really talk about. Because when you have that many people in this big a space now, you have to cover it in different ways. Yeah, it's a little bit like um, 
when in the 1950s, like teenagers used to jam into phone booths and then they'd get in their hot rods, right? Um, mm-hmm. It's such a bigger space. That is You're the so first stupid. person to make that analogy, but I think it, it sounds right. It sounds right. I, think. Uh, I don't even know what that means. All right. Um, my first question I wanted to ask you is why do you think it took so long for people to realize three was more than two? Right. This is a question I get a lot. Um, oh no! I thought I was. I thought I was being clever. Yeah. Wow, why did it take thirty-five years? Well, what for one? Like, this is gonna sound like really dumb and silly, but like thirty-five years isn't that long compared to like how long the printing press like kind of made an impact on <laughs> these sorts of things, or how long other inventions ha- over history took to like kind of be widespread adopted. You know, sometimes. It, what seems obvious in hindsight was not obvious at the time. That's just sort of how this works. So with that off the bat, I think the biggest reason is that it's not just about three being more than two. You know, obviously it's, you throw the ball. There's a period where it was kind of growing, growing, growing in the three-point line incrementally. You know, there was a little spike when it moved it, the line in from 30 in the 19, I think 1995 was the year they moved the line yeah. in for a couple of years. Uh, around the time when Don Nelson was coaching the New York Knicks. Uh, <laughs> and then, uh, and then, but what happened was like, kind of as this sort of thing was happening gradually, what starting with the sons of D'Antoni. And then I talk about this like Holy war where you have the sons philosophy split into one, well, one side, you have the art, the art branch of the religion, which is the warriors. And on the other side, you have the science branch of the religion, which is the rockets and their rivalry kind of just shoved the whole league forward. But once you kind of got to the point where like, it wasn't just that the three point line was a place to get more shots or to score more points. It was also a chaos engine that totally changed the math because, because it's not just the shots out here that are worth more points. When you take more shots from out here, you, you make the defense cover out here and then in order to make to generate to kind of create that threat out here you have to shoot more times from out here to kind of make the defense come out here and that thereby opens up more space in here so there was just like kind of at a certain point you had to kind of live with like the chaos of like yeah we're going to shoot a couple of these that are going to look like bad shots but if we do if we do that like the defense will react to us and that was, I think, the real revolution where you realize that the three-point line was not just a place to make more shots, but was also a chaos engine. That's when things really mm-hmm. took off, I think. And the Warriors were, I mean, the great artistry of what the Warriors did under Steph and Clay and all that is that they made you feel like them pulling up from 35 feet was more terrifying than someone dunking. But to do that, they had to be willing to shoot from 35 feet. Right. They basically had to take like kind of what the fuck shots. Yeah. And it's funny, too, that they're coached by a man who has the uh, the the best three point per- career, three point percentage of all time. But also mm-hmm. it took him three years to not hate those shots like he would get yeah. pretty mad. Um, even though they were going in, you'd watch him on the sideline. Steve Kerr is an interesting guy because he's in his heart, a like basketball traditionalist who Mm -hmm. loves, uh, 
Like he loves having five centers on a team right. where they shoot a hundred well, threes a game. I mean, he <laughs> traded for he trade he traded for Shaq. Yeah, but on the seven seconds or less Suns. I mean, yeah, I think there is there's always a degree to which like Kerr is somewhat uncomfortable with all this for sure. I mean, you also think about how he harps on the turnover so much. Yeah, yeah, I think to some degree that's sort of like kind of a psychological ploy. I think he understands that you're going to turn it over when you play as fast as they do but just sort of is like kind of reminding the player. It's like that, like kind of voice in their head. But yeah, it is, it is kind of funny. I think the way he blended all that was that they still have like kind of a system. Right. That's like a blend of all this other stuff. It's just turbocharged and further away, but yeah, you know, it's, it's very, it is kind of funny how like he's a little bit of a grand traditionalist. Yeah. He's, I often say people think he's like pop, but he's actually more like Phil. Um, I I agree with that. Although Pop, I would argue, is also a bit of a traditionalist. My number one question, I wanted to ask. I thought you already had. I thought you already asked your number one. Oh, I guess. Well, this is the question I was thinking the most about: Mm -hmm. is George Mikan (laughs) (laughs) very prominent figure in the three point revolution? Actually, because Uh, of his ABA background. That was what I was going to ask. Is so George Mikan is maybe the he's the first famous basketball player right but Mm -hmm. also as the commissioner of the aba he uh instituted the three-point line and Mm -hmm. also as the commissioner of the aba he lowballed kareem abdul jabbar do you know that story that sounds familiar but i mean with lowball with him with what they had no money they the owners <laughs> the owners pooled all of their the entire every owner of the aba team was going to pay kareem abdul jabbar a million dollars a season to come play in the aba and when he when george Mikan went in the room he offered 700,000 dollars <laughs> <laughs> yeah so, that that might do it <laughs> So well, my question was going to be, what is the more impactful thing George Mikan did? Three-point line, low-balling Kareem, or, or uh, being the basketball first career. basketball career? Uh, yeah. I, I think the answer is still the basketball career, because they literally doubled the lane because of him. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> I, I think uh, like this is a thing that like people, I think, forget a lot. Actually, to make a serious point off your kind of goofy question. Um, hey, that's what it's there for. <laughs> <laughs> right. The NBA has always tried to create a league that's more open. Mm-hmm. Literally from the days it started. Like, they, again, George Mikan dominated the game because the key was only, the lane was only six feet wide. Now, by the way, it's mm-hmm. 16 feet. So it's like, <laughs> Right. And George Mikan would just sort of stand at the outside of the lane. He would, you know, park his huge body there. He would throw him the ball and he would just sort of hook it off the glass. That was his thing, right? And they're like, no, we can't have this. So we they literally doubled the lane because of George Mikan. So Shaq can complain all he wants about how, like, kind of the zone defense rules were put in to limit him or whatever. Like, he often complains about that. Yeah. They didn't double the lane for you, Shaq. <laughs> so... I think George, it's still that. Also, because fun fact, George Mikan was not the the ABA was not the first league to have a three point shot. Oh, really? Why don't you it tell our the, listeners who that was? That was the ABL under former Harlem Globetrotters um, founder Abe Saperstein. He had a league That's for a about name. a year. 
Yeah. yeah. As a as a fellow member of the tribe, I agree. <laughs> yeah, they had a leak, the ABL. Um, it was only around for one year. And one of the things that Abe Saperstein did beforehand is he talked to he was trying to pitch Bill Sharman, who was a Celtics just finishing his career with the Celtics, became the Lakers coach, uh, became the first coach to hold shoot arounds. That's why the Lakers were so good. Uh <laughs> That's another story in the book. But yeah, he instituted the shoot around basically so that he would force his players to get up in the morning instead of sleep in. It was there. Yeah. Anyway. Well, the sleep uh, scientists that all the teams use now would tell Bill Sharman he was wrong. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, there's hey, everything comes full circle. Um, but no, they had a, a league and Abe Saperstein was pitching Sharman on like kind of this idea of a 25 foot shot um and he would call it a home run shot that was what they they said Charmin was like yeah that's a little long i don't know but that's interesting they ended up putting it in the league folded after a year but the aba brought that idea they also crucially and by the way i think this also answers to some degree question one think about it. are you a baseball fan yeah okay how many home what percentage of pitches in a game are home runs? Oh, it's got to be in the single digits, right? So so how many home runs are there in the usual in a baseball game? Like let's like say like 3 one, or 4. Three, okay, sure. Oh, yeah, I guess if you're counting both teams, yeah. Sure. Yeah, both teams. No, no, I'm counting yeah, both yeah. teams. Yes. So like let's two say, probably two and a half. Two maybe to four, one and a half. Say. Yeah, sure, yeah. Let's say two to four. How many pitches are thrown in a baseball game? Well, it's about like it's 350. Like, yeah, yeah. That sounds right. So your your line is a home run shot. A home run is hit like twice out of like 350 pitches. So like what does that correspond to for like three pointers? It's like you shoot one three a game total. Mm-hmm. Right? Because you take, I don't know, they're like let's say they're 200 possessions. You're taking like two threes. Imagine if you hit like a home run like every second pitch. I think more people would watch baseball. Um. (laughs) (laughs) But like, I mean, that that I think was a major anchoring effect a a little bit on like sort of what you're supposed to use this line for. Right. If you're just if this is just like a super special shot that you do, like kind of once every 150 pitches or hunts every like 100, whatever, like you're not going to you're not going to reimagine like it has like a, a nexus of your half court set. So anyway. That's a lot on George Mikan. Um, but yeah. <laughs> well, we did when I when I DM'd you, I was like, I wanna ask you, who is the worst great <laughs> who would be the worst great player in the three point era? Mm-hmm. Um and you were you said, Well, we can't say George Mikan, right? And I was yeah. like, Yeah, probably not. <laughs> Can I say Russell Westbrook? Is that too hard? <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Um, is, who is the somebody... answer Carl Malone? No, actually, Car- I don't think so. Carl Malone. I, I guess think he'd would've... be a five, right? And he'd be a he pretty be... switchable five. <laughs> and he would shoot threes. Yeah. And he was a great pick and roll player. Like as much as it sucks, because yeah. for people who don't like Carl Malone, I think he would be an <laughs> awesome fit. I There's wanted, actually... I wanted the answer to be Carl Malone because I hate him. All right, keep going. I understand. <laughs> Honestly, he's very prominently featured in one of the chapters. Um, but yes. Uh can I say like like a big giant center? Like uh, just 
I mean, probably right. That's who they're. It's got to be a big giant center, right? You like, would. I like, think weirdly, I think like Yao Ming would have a lot of trouble. Obviously, wouldn't uh, Yao shoot threes though? Yao was a pretty good shooter. Um, yeah, but he. Yeah, I don't know how you move on defense. I mean, well, yeah, that's true. I guess like Brook Lopez is thriving, so surely Yao Ming could thrive as well <laughs> in a certain way. Uh, the other one, I mean, like. It's, it is a good question. Um, I mean, the guy I immediately thought of was Adrian Dantley. Hmm. But Why is that? Because he never passed the ball? Well, he never passed the ball. Um, he was like a 6-4 center, which you'd think would be a good idea, but he was also bad at defense and also mm -hmm. couldn't shoot outside of seven feet or whatever. Right. Yeah. Um. <laughs> and honestly, we're, so we're talking like, not like in the fifties, right? We're talking yeah. like somewhat modern, like somewhat let's say modern, a, yeah. Let's say like a nineties player who was really good. Uh, God, I had an answer for this, and now it's, I'm blanking on it. Like, I don't remember if it was a center or if it was like a guard. In a weird way, I kind of think not Carl Malone, but sort of the style of kind of like the like power forward with no ball skills type yeah like a buck williams type of player i mean i'm sure they're better well, examples. like a charles oakley those kind of guys like right those like not to please don't if you're hearing if you're listening to this charles i think you're amazing i don't want to <laughs> die um but uh somebody like that right like because there were so many big men like they'd play two big men and one of them was always just a guy who fouled a ton and got rebounds, right? Like um Oakley might have shot threes though. I think that yeah. he had a pretty decent shot. Um plus I think like kind of I mean, why couldn't Oakley be PJ Tucker? That's a fair point. You know, um I, I really should have prepped for this question. More. Always... I'm sorry. No, no, I was gonna say like George Mirasan or like yeah. someone like that. Yeah, the yeah. other one. It, it, the tiny point guard, I feel like, would have been a problem. Like, uh, oh yeah, Muggsy Bugs would have been like terrible, Muggsy right? or yeah. or Spud Webb or like Damon Stoudemire or I know that maybe not Damon Stoudemire because he had a really good shot. Um, but players like that, um, or kind of the, you know, in a weird way, I actually not sure about like someone like Dominique Wilkins. You know, sort of this like kind of really aggressive athletic three but only aggressive from like an athletic from like the free throw line down yeah like would he be smart like would he be able to make these quick decisions um in space you know they never really asked him to uh or someone like like along those lines but in truth i mean the boring answer is that all these guys would have probably adjusted but right I and mean, anyone who like bennett was like kind of a great like late career Charles Barkley, I think would have had a major problem because yeah. he would just benefit from the illegal defense rule and just go back <laughs> down, back down, back down, back down, back down. Um, someone like that. I always but, think when I'm thinking about guys in the nineties now is I think it's so funny. Like I think about T-Mac, right? Like wouldn't T-Mac either be a one or a four who would just guard twos and threes, but like I offensively. Actually, I think T-Mac would be amazing this era. Oh, I for actually sure. wrote a piece. Absolutely. I wrote a piece, I wrote a piece about it. I mean, the problem is that his body didn't cooperate. So like when yeah. you're talking about being good or bad in this era, you do have to keep in mind, you know, by the biomechanics of having to cover all that space, it would have 
training methods are like basically night and day different now than they were in that era. Yeah, yeah another guy of- I think about is like Larry Johnson as like a five uh would be so cool he would yeah but i think you're right though i think he would have had trouble in this era yeah um like that that style of player who's like kind of a big three i yeah. think would have had particularly after he had back trouble like i think that would have been a challenge for him that that, that type of player is a good a good analog because like even if he was a five like he's he's not i mean the, the other thing is like fives are big i mean he was small yeah he's like so strong though i don't know i just always kind of think of him as like i don't know i'm like spoiled by the undersized five in draymond where i'm like i see a like wide guy and i'm like that guy could play the five right draymond's (laughs) one draymond's one (laughs) one um so i wanted to ask you an inverse question too which is so well first off I'm Don Nelson. Here's my question right, about Don let's Nelson. Let's talk about Don Nelson. Why was he okay with Manute Bull shooting threes, but not Chris Mullen? <laughs> uh, I have an answer for that question. Although I think it's also that so the year that they beat Utah in the playoffs and then the year that they beat San Antonio, those are two teams that had giant centers, right? Mm -hmm. So if you watch those games, like the spatial alignment of the floor in those games is absolutely insane. Yeah. He would place his setter 40 feet from the basket, like (laughs) not even in the play. He would do this with Manupo. Okay, Manupo could shoot, but he would also do this with Jim Peterson, Tom Tolbert, Alton Lister. The <laughs> only reason was that Mark Eaton could not, in that scenario, go below the free throw line, <laughs> or David Robinson could not go below the free throw line. And so, what that would clear room for is when Chris Mullen, Tim Hardaway, or Mitch Richmond, in the latter example, posted up, they couldn't help. Mm-hmm. So, to answer your question, why was Manute Bull shooting threes where David Robinson couldn't? The answer had everything to do with the illegal defense rule. The whole point was to pull specifically the center away. If you have Chris Mullen shooting threes, you're not pulling the center away. <laughs> so the whole point, he basically just sort of kind of inverted the game where like he would take the guys that were supposed to be tall and put them inside and put them outside. And But the key was he also did the reverse. Well, and he also did that with the, there's a year, the we believe year, which is yeah. prominently featured in the book. There's this crazy regular season game against the Rockets and Yao Ming where he just has Zarko Chabarkaba stand in the corner <laughs> at center the entire time. And he has like, I think it's like 35 points because Yao just will not go. It's probably not that much. It's probably 25. I'm but for Zarko Chabarkaba, it's a lot. But and it's just because Yao Ming refuses to leave the middle. Right. So I guess in that case, like Zarko had to shoot through. I can't pronounce his last name. You did a great job. He he had to actually make the threes to make that work. So, but, but Manupol (laughs) technically didn't have to. He did. That was cool. But like Lister, Jim Peterson, seriously, watch that Spurs series. I don't know if those games are still on YouTube. Like, and just, just watch the centers. And they're basically, you know, that like little line that like kind of is out way by the yeah, three point yeah. line. They're just standing there. So you know what the other funny thing about Nelson is, and I, I sort of get in. I, I didn't get into this as much in the book as I 
good is that he kind of had a weakness for centers. Yeah. He didn't want them, but he kind of like Bob Lanier he traded for. He traded for Billy Owens. Not a center, but yes. Yes, but he, it was like specifically to, to get be, bigger. Yeah, to get bigger. You know, he always was trying to get bigger. Um Yeah. I mean, he was a big man himself. Maybe that was it. I don't know. There's a there's a part in the book where I talk about Tim Hardaway and the killer crossover is like a intro to Allen Iverson and just how the had the lineage from Allen Iverson to like James Harden and the double step back. And they were about to trade the pick that was for that they used on Tim Hardaway to Indiana to move up to take I think Chris Washburn mm-hmm. a, a f- center. Yeah. And they were a forward. Like, so the Tim Hardaway thing was a backup plan. He wanted to get bigger then. Yeah. Um, and then obviously in, in Dallas, you have Sean Bradley, uh, and you have uh Wong Gigi and well there Evan Eschmeyer. There were Evan all Eschmeyer, those guys. Powell, the Pavel, pa- yeah, the guy with Marfans. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that for all the, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> so for all like his like kind of small ball like kind of love, like Nelson uh, Brandon Wright for Jason Richardson, it's another example. Kind of always had this thing, uh, just like kind of he, he would like find success doing this like wacky way, and then he would almost mainstream himself. Yeah. Uh and I think that held him back. Also, to some degree, what he was doing was like not as revolutionary as it seems. He was kind of just inverting positions a little bit. Sure. Obviously, very, very, very revolutionary for the time. Yeah. But to your question about why come a new bull shoot threes, but Chris Mullen couldn't, it really had everything to do with exploring the illegal defense rule, which tells you in some ways, like kind of while Nelson was about positional fluidity, he also kind of wasn't, but mm-hmm. he was just about a different positional hierarchy. But yeah, my question about the run TMC teams Mm-hmm. It's going to be if they played modern style basketball in that league, would the run TMC Golden State Warriors have lost to Michael Jordan in the finals? <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> well, let's remember that they won, what, like 44 games as is? Yeah. Like they, they kind of <laughs> snuck in through the playoffs. So that team was uh, Hardaway, Mullen, uh, Mitch Richmond, Alton Lister, and Marshall uh, Mario. Marshall Owens was on that team. Mario yeah. Ellie was on that team. Uh, they had another Rod guy. Rod Higgins. Rod uh, Higgins. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, if you it's just It's like sort all of, guys who shoot 40% from three. <laughs> it would be, like, kind of look at the Clippers or look at, like, kind of the way they play. It would be a lot like that. Um, and those Clippers teams did quite well. Tim Hardaway, I think, would have been really great in this era. Yeah. And I think he kind of deep down knows it, which is why... He's always <laughs> crapping on Allen Iverson in the, in the crossover. Like, he would have been well, great. he's also just kind of a jerk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, they would have struggled. Uh, defensively, might have been an issue because, like, part of what makes a team like the Clippers or even Dallas with Luka is that they the wings are two-way, whereas I feel like Mullen and Hardaway would have been a lot of places to target. Yeah. Richmond and Marshallonis, though, I think would have been really good, actually. Um <laughs> I mean, Marshallonis like was doing moves that Manu Ginobili did, but could do him better because he had more space. So, yeah. I mean, there's no question. But I mean, I suppose what you would probably end up doing is you would you would still keep the same starting lineup, but like your closing lineup would be what like Ellie and Marshallonis as your that as your four in the my five. Yes, yeah, yeah. I don't know. If the, I, don't know if, I don't know if the finals would have been the cards, but I think they definitely <laughs> would have been. They would have been better. It was more of a joke. I just wanted to make a joke about them losing to 130 to the uh, 
by giving up 140 points to Michael Jordan. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, Portland of that era played, if they, I almost think this question is a little better for Portland, where it's like, what if Portland really leaned in? Well, Clifford Robinson, right, did end up shooting threes as he got older. Well, Mike. Yeah. I think that's all I've got for you. Do you want to talk about who in this era would be terrible back then? Yeah, we could do that. Yeah, for the answer, sure. Well, the, the easy answer is nobody, but... Yeah. Um, that was sort of my take, right? Like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but... Uh, I mean, there certainly are a lot of players who... I mean, like, I don't know what Draymond would have done in that era. And I guess it could have been Dennis Rodman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean... Some of it is also developmental as well. I mean, where do you channel your... The, you know, your attention. I mean, a, a player, a player like Gary Payton the second. Like, I just don't know, like, would what you would have done with him if it wasn't this era. Would that player even come along? Right. Uh, just to keep it warrior centric. But mean, I also could... always think of like, I don't know. There were guys like we brought up, like uh, Muggsy, right? Like Muggsy was a good player, <clears throat> but he was just like a really athletic fast guy who went to the basket all the time, right? Isn't that what Gary mm-hmm. Payton would be? Um yeah, just a taller, faster guy. Like kind of a bench guy who uh went to the basket. Yeah, um, I don't know. I mean, I think there are also there are a lot of players who I think, you know, I look at someone like a Pascal Siakam or um kind of that that style player who isn't quite like kind of a classic like sort of wing, but is right. somewhat between a position, between a role, where it's sort of like, what do I do with this guy? I mean, I think about, like, someone, like, when Phoenix had, like, Richard Dumas, like, that dude, if you put that guy in the modern era, would be, like, they would know exactly what to do with him. Yeah. But Phoenix had no idea what to do with him, really. Yeah. yeah there are a lot of guys, I think, like that, or, or um, I'm trying to think of other specific examples, but I think there are a lot of guys in that vein who you just wouldn't necessarily know what to do. And someone who was, you know, again, like unconventional kind of traditional uh, positional bundles. I mean, a lot of the guys on that Warriors team, I mean, what would you do with Steven Jackson? What would you do with uh, Matt Barnes? What would you do with, uh, you know, I mean, shit, what would you do with Monte Ellis? I mean, you know, that sort of style of player who was, neither a one or a two or whatever, I think that would have been a challenge. Um, Don't all those guys, well, not, I'm thinking specifically of Monte, right? Like, don't those guys just become, like, microwave ones, though? So what they were? Off the, yeah, but they're, they play off the bench. Like a a Vinny Johnson type? Yeah. Maybe, although part of the, part of the thing that made that Warriors, we believe, team so kind of, such lightning in a bottle for like a very short amount of time is that all those guys only kind of made sense together. Yeah. You know, once you, I mean, this is, I think the thing that Don Nelson did understand that was kind of went on to the heatles and all this other stuff is that to use a free darkoism, like, you know, it's a positional revolution. You, you build unconventional structures around unconventional stars. So the, the team it's not that the players all are generalists. It's not like you got six, five, six, eight guys like Billy Knight's Hawks. 
was sort of the contrast to the Nelson team where it's like that was the team of the future, supposedly, but they also mm-hmm. like they were so blind to this like we need this type of player that they missed out on Chris Paul or you know, <laughs> you know, Brandon Roy and yeah, all those guys. They missed out on all these guards because they just couldn't look past their six eight thing. So they end up just sort of being like positionally rigid in a different way. But Don Nelson, I think, was much more understood that you bundled the skills. Right. So if your best player is Baron Davis and you need to have certain players around Baron Davis to make it work. Like if you, it's not just that Paul Pressey is a point forward. Yeah. Which he was the first point forward and that he can play outside and in, but you pair Paul Pressey with guys like Sidney Moncrief and Terry Cummings. who don't play exactly like, well, certainly in Moncrief's case, like it's not like a, is that really a two? He he's he burrows to the basket more than a typical two of that era. I mean, he mm-hmm. played way bigger than his size. But and Terry Cummings kind of was not a great rebounder at that time, like for most power forwards, and Craig Hodges had no role. They kind of end up sort of amplifying the best of each other. So you ended up kind of taking the the skills are bunched together just in unconventional quote-unquote ways well i would also say part of the magic of we believe in don nelson is he very specific i he very specifically knew that those guys also would bother dirk oh yeah Um, they had that perfect first round matchup and yeah And Avery, I mean, most importantly, they would bug Avery Johnson. I mean, they put him on tilt with some of the decisions he made in that series. I mean, he started. Austin Crozier. He was playing Austin Crozier. And Devin George. Like, they win 67 games playing one lineup, and game one, he plays a different lineup. And that just throws the whole thing off. And then the other thing people kind of forget about the We Believe team, too, is uh, Andres Biedrens was really good when he. In the mm-hmm. spot minutes he played when they actually needed a big man, um, mm-hmm. yeah, um, he was he was actually really good before Don Nelson sort of broke him, um, and some <laughs> and uh, other things I don't want to talk about uh, on the podcast, but um, yeah. <laughs> um, there was one other question I wanted to ask you. I think it's a good one to end on. And is there somebody who kind of gets overlooked in? as a progenitor of modern basketball, like everybody always talks about, you know, the Suns and, you know, the Warriors, you know what I mean? Who's, who's sort of like overlooked as being like, that guy was like a true Maverick. I'm going to give you an answer that's going to blow your mind. The answer is Steph Curry. (laughs) I'm not kidding. I think here's what I would say. The three point one of the premises of the book is that what has happened over the last eight years is actually way bigger than we made it out to be. And obviously, we talked so much about this league wide, right? So, we made a pretty big effing deal out of this. And I'm still saying it's bigger <laughs> than that, right? Because of again, think of it, it's more of a court surface thing. You have basically changed the playing surface. So, that that is like the main premise of the book is that somehow we are underplaying how big a change this is historically and how quickly it happened. The same is true of Steph Curry. Everything about him from the way he inspires this terror from 35 feet, 
from the relentlessness of his off-ball movement, from obviously him as a culture setter is like significant in ways that I think don't really understand. Uh, you're seeing it now. I mean, the the Draymond thing is sort of faded out of the news where that would have broken most teams. Yeah. <clears throat> um, but really, it just it impacts stylistically. He basically has changed the way you conceive of what a superstar does. Mm-hmm. You know, it used to be that like your superstar was very bluntly the main guy. You know, the Jordan S kind of, I put up these huge numbers. I do this. I'm directly kind of making this impact. I take the big shot. What Steph Curry has done is he's kind of redefined that a superstar is about drawing people to him and making the rest of the the game fewer people on a wider court. Mm-hmm. Um, it's totally, ch- I mean, the, the very concept of gravity is a Steph Curry. He is the best at it. He is still the best at it. And I think, and I promise you, I'm not pandering to you just because uh, I'm you're a Warriors fan. I promise <laughs> this. I think that it is very much like how this revolution has kind of been bigger than we realize. What Steph Curry has done to change the sport. And by the way, I will say, like it's it's not just it's, it's I say it's the Warriors Rockets rivalry as mm-hmm. much as like one team or the other. Um, I compare them to again, like it's almost like product. What are the two? What are two types of products of uh, like Catholicism goes into like Protestantism and I don't know. I don't know Christian religion as well, but you know, <laughs> like I don't know the names of it, but like sure, different sure, sects sure. of Protestantism, yeah, yeah. right? That's essentially what the Warriors and Rockets are. You know, you got they're like kind of different sects of the same religion. But Curry, I think, just I mean, he completely warped the geometry of the sport in a way that I think goes so far beyond what he's produced, how he's done it, the ability of him to shoot, the ability of him to move, the ability of him to just kind of screen. He basically kind of changed the def- like He's like kind of this, the, the mouse and like, we're all the, wait, no, I'm not getting this analogy right. He's the cheese and we're all the mouse, <laughs> the mice that are trying to chase him. I mean, it totally has redefined like what it means to be a great player. And there is, even as the game changes and we have imitators, there is nobody like Steph Curry. And so I would argue that when his career is done, I think he made, I made this point in an athletic um, roundtable once, like the GOAT conversation to me is, is MJ, it's LeBron, it's maybe Kareem, and then it's Steph. And so I think even, even if you're talking about who deserves more credit, like I think in a weird way, he, there's just no way to properly sum up his impact. So like we have to flatten it, you know, just for clarity's sake, but it's really so much more exponential than we can even really describe. Well, I was actually trying to finish up, but now that leads me to a question Mm. where about LeBron and to me, like in the last, I don't know, six drafts or so we've seen every big guy has ball skills and passes Mm-hmm. That's LeBron, right? That did that. It's like, a good question who did that. I mean, certainly LeBron played to me, a factor. It feels like LeBron, like watching the league to me, it felt like there was a distinct change where passing became cool when LeBron. Yeah. Uh, so and that comes with LeBron, and so it does, wasn't is, is that, pre-LeBron. <laughs> is that LeBron? Some of that is LeBron. And some of it is because when you remove a legal defense, you make, and I met this is a big part of the book. I don't want to spoil it. 
but you make it so that the relationships that matter on the court that you need to exploit are all contextual. It, you are reading the whole floor at once all the time. You have to, mm-hmm. because you're no longer kind of, I beat my man and then the help comes. And so this spatial awareness of the modern player is so much different and so much more advanced than, because it had to be. Like the illegal defense rule made it too easy. Mm-hmm. That to me, when you talk about passing, that to me is as significant a change as LeBron. And not to, not, I'm not trying to, you know, in the no, some no, weird no, way, yeah. in some weird way, like LeBron and Steph are also kind of like the the two prongs of the revolution because LeBron is kind of the incubator of the do everything type of player, the the heliocentric or the like kind of new superstar who does everything directly, and then Steph has kind of broken the mold entirely, where his major his greatest impact is what he doesn't do directly. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like kind of I mean it's like it's a great rivalry, obviously, and I don't want to downplay LeBron's impact, but in any way, but I I do wonder if you know we've said we spent all this time like kind of talking about LeBron's impact on the sport. Uh, we still haven't quite, and you know, st- they both have a little bit more to go. I mean, yeah, like, that was actually going to be my question is in six years, are we going to see like a billion Steph Curry's in the draft? Is everybody going to be like, no, because yeah, nobody can be exactly, Steph Curry. Right. They're just, but, I mean, that's the thing. It, uh, someone asked me this. I had a conversation with somebody once like, why aren't more teams like the Warriors? Well, and like one, I would, when I said, or why did more teams like copy the Warriors? One, I said they are copying them a lot more than you think. Two, nobody can replicate Steph Curry. The combination of shooting, movement, relentlessness. I mean, that's it's like it. It's like saying like, why aren't there more Giannis's? Yeah, nobody would ever say that. It's the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well. Thanks a lot, Mike. Oh, actually, there's one more question. Oh I my for god! You. Sorry, <laughs> you're you're a Wizards guy. Actually, I have yeah. two questions. You're a Wizards oh, wow. guy. I am a Wizards fan. Yeah. How good would those weird Gilbert Arenas teams be in a more modern era? Ooh, good question. Uh, probably about as good because they wouldn't defend anybody. Yeah, fair enough. And then I mean that. I mean, maybe they like the thing is like they would they were they would their offense would be better, but like they still wouldn't guard anybody. I mean, they they didn't have the you know who they'd be. They'd be like very Portland Trailblazers. I was going to say is is Gilbert Arenas just Damian Lillard if he's shooting more threes. Um, It's a good comparison. Lillard is very much a a descent. I wouldn't say they're entirely alike because Gil was, I think, better off ball. Um, and Dame is probably a better, had more range and was better shooting long shots. But there's a lot of similarities for sure. Um, all right. And then my last question, actually, I know it's a small sample size. Mm-hmm. But in this first week and a half of the season. They're shooting less. They're they're shooting less three pointers. Are you worried about that with the? Uh, Are they really? Yeah, that's. I just heard that on some podcast, and it's just because there's been more dunks, and people think it's because of the take foul. But my joke. Oh, question, oh you mean you you mean in the league, not yeah, in, in the league, in oh, the league, okay. in the league. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I see. Uh, my okay. joke. My joke question was going to be: Are you watching that number 
worried that it's going to fall and so I, and take your book sales with it. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I argue in the book that we've kind of reached the upper limit. So I actually think that would be helpful. Um, yeah, I think we, I mean, like if you think about a graph, like we are at the like kind of leveling off of the asymptote curve. And I believe that for a couple of years, to be honest. Yeah. So I'm not terribly. I mean, the truth is, is that like, you know, you can't go too much further back in the backcourt, right? I mean, not yet. We'll see. Or maybe they're going to remove the backcourt violation. No, like, no I'm just they... saying maybe some <laughs> there might be some freak, some freak coming who uh, I always thought. Remember, there was remember there was like when Kevin Love was first coming out, it was like he's so good at shooting full court shots. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine that. like like someone calls the ATO uh and it's like a last second play and you end up drawing like kind of a, a flare, you know, that like kind of play where you throw the ball over the top of the flare screen. Yeah, yeah. But you're instead of throwing it to the corner, you're throwing yeah, it to the corner the opposite. Yeah, yeah. You're screen. running you're running elevator doors at the half court line. Um. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh no, I'm not surprised. I'm actually not surprised to hear that. I mean, I think we are actually at the upper limit. And I part of it too is I think defenses are starting to figure out ways to mitigate the space but that's another chapter in the book yeah well you'll have to read to find out listeners uh mike where can our listeners get your book and where can they follow you and see all your work Mm. well it's out on all the places you get books amazon uh barnes and noble it's available for pre-order still uh i would say you can order it from bookshop.org or your favorite independent bookstore. It's out for real on Tuesday, November 1st. Then you can get it uh, in the flesh. All I will say is that if you're going to get it anyway, I would love a pre-order because that helps with book sales. Um, but you don't have that much time left to do that, I suppose. So uh, there are excerpts that I've run on The Athletic and on SB Nation and on Goals Forever, our wizard site, the SB Nation wizard site. The SB Nation one is a Don Nelson related one. There may be another excerpt or two. I'm trying to see if I can figure that out. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, Mike Prada NBA. Uh, but yeah, I mean, those are your spots to get it. So yeah, that's where you can go get it. And uh, look at also if you don't want to get it right now, you want to wait till the holidays. It's a great makes a great gift. Perfect. Thanks a lot, Mike. Thank um, you for having me. Of course. Um, thank you, Mike. You can get spaced out at any use a use a bookstore that's not Amazon, all right, to get spaced out, please. Yeah. Um, Sean, that's our episode. Uh, yeah. Is there anything you'd like to plug? Um, yeah, I'm actually hosting. I'm gonna MC and tell some jokes at a charity auction on Thursday. Uh, it is for a charity called the Gift of Adoption. And uh, it's not a weird, like, pro-life charity. They just, uh, they give people grants uh, so they can adopt kids out of foster care. And uh, you can check that out. I'm sure I'll be hyping it on social media. But there's an auction, and there's uh, some stuff you can buy from Thursday through Saturday. And if you want to see the live thing, it's at 7 p.m. Pacific time. I will be telling about seven minutes of jokes on the internet. 
Um, as for me, I'm asking you, our listeners, for some help. Uh, if anyone has that episode of The People Puzzler I was on, I have oh. not seen it yet because it's impossible to find. Oh, no. Um, so if you know how to torrent The People Puzzler <laughs> or know some kind of link that it's at, uh, please let me know. Um... And yeah, uh, as for me also, though, you can follow me on Twitter at Frankie Muniz. Where on? I forgot to pull it up. (laughs) Where 21 hours ago I tweeted, are you kidding me with that at NASCAR finish? Um, and you know what? I did see that NASCAR finish, and Frankie, you are correct. That was actually crazy. Um, <laughs> Sean, did you write a song? You know, I didn't, but I want to play an old one about Kyrie Irving. It's called Leaving on the Team Plane. Okay. Um, that's playing under right now. Trust the process. Trust the process. And uh, shut it down. Just stop, stop being anti-Semitic, man. My bags were packed in March. I'm ready to go. We got punk pie onted to compo. Bean Town is so racist it blows my mind. But the Knicks are calling. James Dolan's my bro. Gordon Hayward's falling. He healed so slow. If you think Jalen Brown's a star, then you're blind. So rip me anonymously Tell them you won't miss Kyrie Boo me like I ate the last potato Cause I'm leaving on the team plane I've got to make sure my family's safe Oh, I'm doing what humans do Bill Simmons wants me to disappear Somehow he prefers Terry Rozier I heard he's been short-selling MSG shares Marcus Smart came back, he was pretty fat Aaron Baines don't think the world is flat I shot 19 for 62 who cares so rip me anonymously watch me brick another three I got booed by so many sunburned bros cause I'm leaving on the team plane one more heart attack for Danny Ainge Oh, Chipotle, he loves you so. Now the time has come to blow this joint. I'm forfeiting all my Tommy points. Paul Pierce says that Genie fucked worldwide wob. A lot of people say the garden's heaven. I think it's worse than 9-11.
Come on, sheeple, that was an inside job. Oh, rip me anonymously. Tell me about the Illuminati. There's more chemtrails than there've ever been before. Cause I'm leaving on the team plane. No more timeouts listening to House of Pain. Cheers wasn't that great a show. But I'm leaving on the team plane. Jason Tatum disappears like David Blaine. Oh, babe, I'm a herbivore. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.